We're going to be learning in Chidushe Moran Riz HaLevi, the second piece on Hilchos Chanukah. This is Perek Dalet Halacha Aleph. And this is a very well-known piece in the Sefer, where Rab Velvel has some key ideas about the concept of Hidur Mitzvah, which means doing a mitzvah nicely, as opposed to in the bare minimum way. So when it comes to Chanukah candles, Hidur Mitzvah is a very important component of the mitzvah. The basic mitzvah is to light one candle per household, but then there are two additional levels that make the mitzvah nicer. So Reb Velvel is going to have some very key conceptual ideas to understand the nature of this Hidr mitzvah, as well as the broader concept of Hidr mitzvah, how connected does the Hidr, the additional component, have to be to the original obligation, the base of the mitzvah. The Rambam writes, How many candles does one need to light on Chanukah? The mitzvah is for each house to light one candle. So the basic mitzvah Mitzvah is one candle per house. Someone who wants to do mahadrin, so they want to do the mitzvah in a little bit of a better way, a notch up, so they light one candle per person in the house. So if there's five people in the house, they light five candles. So the first two levels are either one candle per house, regardless of how many people live in the house. The second level is one candle per person in the house. If someone wants to do the mitzvah even better, in the best possible way, so the highest level of lighting the Hanukkah candles is He lights one candle per person on the first night. And then each night he adds an additional candle. So not only does he light one candle per person, but in addition to that, he adds one each night. So for example, let's say there's 10 people in the house. So the first night he would light 10 candles. And then the second night he lights 20. So each night he goes up one candle per person. And on the eighth night he lights 80 candles. So according to the Rambam, the three levels each build on each other. The first level is one candle per house. The second level is one candle per person. And the third level is one candle per person per night. Now, Reb Velvel points out that according to the Rambam, the highest level does not mean that each person lights their own candle. So if there's 10 people, they're not each lighting their own menorah, but rather one person is lighting all these candles. So the Rambam always describes it with one person lighting the candle on behalf of everyone in the house. So either they light one candle or they light 10 candles or they light 20 or 30 depending on the night, but one person is doing all the lighting. And that's different than the Ramah who overall agrees with the Rambam's approach. So when the Ramah describes 
the different levels. It's the same basic setup as the Rambam, but in this one detail, the Ramah says it differently. In Simon Tafresh Ein Aleph Sif Beis, the Yesh Omrim de Kol Echad Mibnei Habayis Yadli. The Ramah describes it that each person in the house would light their candles. So in the Mahadran cases where you add candles per person, each person lights their own candle, not one person on behalf of everyone. So Rav Velvel quotes that his grandfather, the Beis HaLevi, has comments on the laws of Hanukkah in the Beis HaLevi al HaTorah, and one of the questions that he raises is this issue. Why is the Ramah phrasing this differently than the Rambam? The Ramah is ruling like the Rambam's approach. So why does he differ on this detail that whereas according to the Rambam, one person lights it for everyone, according to the Ramah, each person lights their own menorah. So in order to explain this debate in the laws of Hanukkah, Reb Velvel goes to an entirely different debate in the laws of Bris Mila. The Rambam in the laws of Mila, Beis Dalit, writes, Hamal kolzman she'osek b'mila chozer bein al atzitzin she'ma'akvin bein al tzitzin she'ein ma'akvin. When someone does a bris mila, so there are certain tzitzin, parts of the flesh that need to be removed and some that should be removed, but if they're not removed, it doesn't disqualify the bris. So the Rambam rules that so long as one is in the middle of doing the bris, they should make sure to remove all the tzitzin, whether it's required or whether it's not required. All the tzitzin should be removed because since they're still in the middle of doing the bris, even though they finished the actual cutting, so on some level the bris is over, so they could just finish it up and leave the tzitzin that are not required to be cut, but since they're still in the middle of doing the mitzvah, they might as well finish up and get rid of everything. But pirish, once they finish, so let's say the mohel finished the bris and stopped doing it, so then he only goes back, al tzitzin hama'akvin then he only goes back and restarts doing the bris if there's tzitzin that have to be removed in order for the bris to be valid. But if there's tzitzin that are not an absolute requirement, so the bris is still valid, even though those pieces of flesh should ideally have been removed, but the mohel does not restart once he ended doing the bris and restart the whole thing for those extra tzitzin. So that's the view of the Rambam. Now, the Kesef Mishnah and Nagos Maimani quote that Rashi and the Tour disagree with the Rambam, and they say that this halacha only applies on Shabbos, because since doing a bris is a violation of Shabbos, so then the Mohel does not go back to cut tzitzin, which are not an absolute requirement. He has to limit himself only to things that are an absolute requirement, because he's only allowed to violate Shabbos for full requirements, but not to cut tzitzin, which don't necessarily need to be cut. So that's why if he's still in the middle of the bris, so then the laws of Shabbos are suspended for that bris, so he can finish up even the things that are not a requirement. But once he finishes, he can't restart, which is a violation of Shabbos, for tzitzin that are not ma'akvin, that are not required. So according to Rashi and the Tour, this whole halacha is limited only to on Shabbos, but during the week, the mohel would go back and cut the extra tzitzin, even though he already completed the bris. Whereas the Rambam understands that this halacha is across the board, not only on Shabbos because of the violation of Shabbos, but even during the week.
Now, the source for this halacha is the Gemara in Shabbos Kufla Med Gimel. The Gemara asks, Man Tana Pirish Eino Chozer. Who is the Tana that holds that once the Mohel finished the bris, he doesn't go back for the extra tzitzin? So the Gemara tries a few possibilities. Amar Rabbah Barchana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Shmuel Beno Shal Rabbi Yochanan Ben Brokahi. The first option is Rabbi Shmuel Beno Shal Rabbi Yochanan Ben Broka, because in the Brisa he says that Yudalit Shechalios B'Shabbos, if Erev Pesach is on a Shabbos, so one brings the carbon Pesach on Shabbos, Mafshid Asa Pesach Ad Achazet. Divrei Rabbi Shmuel Beno Shal Rabbi Yochanan Ben Broka. Rabbi Shmuel holds that since it's Shabbos, so we do the minimal violation, so you only skin the carbon Pesach up until the breast. You don't skin the entire animal. So it's the same logic in a bris milah that the mohel minimizes the violation of Shabbos. So the Gemara asks on that approach, and then it presents another one. Amar Ravashi Hamani Rabbi Yosihi. Rav Ashi suggests that it's Rabbi Yosi because his position in the Mishnah is Bain Shanira Ba'alil when the moon is seen, so the witnesses have to come to court in order to sanctify the new month. So they travel even on Shabbos. So the first view in the Mishnah is any witnesses that see the new moon, whether it was a very clear new moon or whether it was somewhat hidden, they travel on Shabbos in order to get to court. Rabbi Yossi disagrees and he says, If the moon was very clear, so then the witnesses do not violate Shabbos to go to court because presumably there's other witnesses who saw the moon as well. If it's a hidden moon, so they might be the only witnesses, so then they travel on Shabbos. But a very clear moon that everybody saw, so presumably there's witnesses next to the court who can testify, and these witnesses don't need to violate Shabbos. So again, it's the same idea that we minimize the violation of Shabbos, so too the Mohel doesn't go back and do tzitzin that are not required. So again, the Gemara asks on this, and then it presents a third option. Amri Nahardoi, in Nahardoi they explained that it's the Rabbanan who disagree with Rabbi Yossi. There is a Mishnah which describes how the Kohanim would switch the Lechem HaPanim, the bread of the Beis HaMikdash, on Shabbos. So the first view, which is the Rabbanan, is Arba Kohanim Nechnasim. Four Kohanim would go in, holding the materials that they were going to switch, and there would be four other Kohanim to take the old bread from last week off. Elu Moshchin Ve'elu Meinichin. One group was taking the old bread off, and one group was putting the new bread on. They would put the new bread on the table before they took off the old bread. Because the Torah says that the bread has to be there always. So if they would take off the old bread before replacing it, there would be a moment where there was no bread. So they would put the new bread on before they took off the old bread. Rabbi Yossi disagrees. According to Rabbi Yossi, a couple seconds where there's no bread is not a big deal. That's also included in always having bread. So in order to fulfill Tamid, they did not need to put the new bread on before the old bread was taken. They could wait a few seconds so they could take the old bread and then put the new bread on a few seconds later. So that's the debate between the Rabbanan and Rabbi Yossi. So according to Nahardai, the view that holds that the Mohel does not go back for the tzitzin that are not required 
is the Rabbanan, the first view of this Mishnah, that it needs to be all the time in order to be considered Tamid, there can't be even a few second break. So likewise, the Mohel, once he finishes the bris, can't go back and fix it up because once he's finished, it interrupted the bris and there's no way to go back. That is no longer Tamid. According to Rabbi Yossi, one can stop for a few seconds and then resume and that's all considered Tamid. But according to the first view, once there's an interruption, there's no way to resume it. So that's why the Mohel can't go back. So now Reb Velvo points out that according to the first two explanations of this view, so it's specifically a Shabbos Halacha. The whole problem with the Mohel going back and doing the Tzitzin She'enon Ma'akvin is that it's Shabbos and doing so is going to be a violation of Shabbos for something that's not an absolute requirement. So that's why the Mohel can't go back. It has nothing to do with during the week. But the third approach of Nahardai applies even during the week. Because Nahardai are changing the whole understanding of this issue. According to the first two explanations of it, the question is whether the Mohel is allowed to violate Shabbos for something that's not an absolute requirement. According to Nahardai, the question is internal to the bris itself. Can a Mohel continue a bris even after he stopped doing the mitzvah? It's not about the violation of Shabbos. It's about the question of whether a mitzvah like Mila or the Lechem Apanim can be continued after a brief interruption. So the view of the Rabbanan, which is the view that the Mohel does not go back for Tzitzin, She'en, and Ma'akvin, is that once the mitzvah is interrupted, it's over, and there's no way to pick it back up. So again, none of this has anything to do with Shabbos at this point. Even during the week, we'd have the same issue that according to this view, the Mohel cannot pick up where he left off. So that's why the Rambam understands that this halacha applies even during the week, not only on Shabbos. Rashi and the tour are reading the whole Gemara straight through and it started off discussing the issue on Shabbos. So according to them, that's the conclusion as well. But according to the Rambam, there's a big shift in the Hardoi's approach that we're no longer dealing with Shabbos, but even during the week. So according to the Rambam, the question now that the Gemara is dealing with is if someone stops doing a mitzvah, can they come back and do hidr mitzvah? When it comes to doing a mitzvah, there's the basic requirements and then we try to add on and do some extras to make the mitzvah extra nice, which is called Hidr Mitzvah. So according to the Rambam, this Gemara is dealing with a very basic issue. If someone completed the mitzvah and now they want to return and do the Hidr on its own, not as part of the original fulfillment of the mitzvah, can they do so? And the Gemara is saying that they cannot. That's why the Mohel cannot return and do the Hidr, the extra part of the bris, once he's already completed doing the actual bris. And that's how Rabbeinu Hananel also explains this Gemara. He writes that we learn from this Gemara, Sha'aporesh min ha-mitzvah, once someone finishes a mitzvah, ein lo od lahachzir aleha lahadra. They cannot return and do the Hidor mitzvah. So it makes sense that the Rambam who came from the school of Rabbeinu Hananel would have also understood that to be the lesson of this Gemara. So that's the issue that this Gemara is discussing. And that's the debate between the Rabbanan and Rabbi Yossi. According to Rabbi Yossi, even after 
after he's completed the mitzvah, he can resume it and the hider mitzvah will still be connected with the original mitzvah. Whereas according to the Rabbanan, once the original mitzvah is completed, one cannot add hider mitzvah afterwards. The hider mitzvah needs to be done originally as part of the original mitzvah. But once the mitzvah is fulfilled, there's no way to do hider mitzvah on its own independently. Hidur mitzvah has to be performed as part of the original mitzvah, not as an independent add-on once the mitzvah is over. And Rab Velvel quotes that his grandfather in the Beis HaLevi in his Chuvis Chelek Beis explains at length this view of the Rambam, that the Rambam holds that Hidur mitzvah, which we derive from the Pasuk of Zekheli Van Vehu, that we make God beautiful, meaning through the mitzvahs. So according to the Rambam, that has to be connected with an actual halacha. Hidur mitzvah cannot be a standalone. It has to be part of a pre-existing obligation. But if there's no obligation, so then you cannot do Hidur mitzvah without it being connected to a mitzvah. So now, based on this, says Rav Velvel, that explains the view of the Rambam when it comes to lighting Hanukkah candles. The Rambam cannot hold that each person lights their own menorah, because that would mean that once the first person lights the candle, the mitzvah is completed. The actual obligation is fulfilled with only one candle. So now, when everyone goes ahead and lights their own candle, they're just doing hidur mitzvah disconnected from the original obligation. And according to the Rambam, that does not work. That's the same as the Mohel finishing the bris and then coming back to do the Hidur mitzvah of the tzitzin that are not a requirement. So just like the Rambam holds that the Hidur of the bris cannot be done after the mitzvah is over, so the same applies to the Hanukkah candles. You can't light the Hanukkah candles for Hidur mitzvah once the actual mitzvah has been fulfilled. So that's why the Rambam says the only way for this to work is if one person lights all the candles. The first candle, which is the obligation, as well as all the Hidor candles. So then that person is continuously doing the mitzvah and the Hidor mitzvah is connected with the original obligation. Same as the Mohel who does not stop. He does the bris, including all the extra tzitzin. So that's the right way to do the bris in a mahudar, in a nice way. So the same is true of the Hanukkah candles. One person has to light all the candles, beginning with the obligation, and then they go straight through to light all of the rest of the candles of Hidur Mitzvah. So now all of it's connected together, the Hidur and the obligation, and in that way the Hidur Mitzvah works. So now this explanation of the Rambam also explains why the Ramah changes this detail. Because in the Shulchan Aruch Yoredea Simen Reish Samach Dalid Sif Hey, the Ramah there rules in line with Rashi and the Tur that the whole limitation on the Mohel restarting the Hidr mitzvah of the bris is only on Shabbos because of the violation of Shabbos. But during the week, even though the Mohel completed the bris, he should go back and do the extra tzitzin. So the Ramah rules in line with the approach that Hidur Mitzvah can be done after the Mitzvah has been completed. There is no need to connect the Hidur Mitzvah with the original obligation. So likewise, the Ramah Lashitaso rules that when it comes to the Hanukkah candles, each person
person can light their own menorah, even though the first person who lights fulfills the mitzvah on everyone's behalf and everyone else is only doing hider mitzvah. So they're doing a standalone hider mitzvah. But according to the Ramah, that works. So both the Rambam and the Ramah are ruling consistent with their overall view of this issue. According to the Rambam, hider mitzvah has to be done along with the obligation. So one person has to light all the Hanukkah candles. The Ramah disagrees with that principle in the laws of Mila. He believes that hider mitzvah can be done after the obligation. So when it comes to Hanukkah candles, each person lights their own candle. Now, Reb Velvel clarifies that when he says that according to the Rambam, one person lights it, and according to the Ramah, each person lights their candles, so it doesn't necessarily have to be done that way. Even the Ramah would agree that one person could light the candles on behalf of everyone. So let's say there's five people in the house, and it's the third night, even the Ramah would agree that one person could light 15 candles, and that's Mahadran Minha Mahadran. The Ramah certainly does not require that each person has to light their own candles because even when it comes to the fundamental obligation of Hanukkah candles, each person doesn't need to light it. So you could have anyone light the Hanukkah candle for you so long as there's someone that's obligated in the mitzvah. So if even the regular obligation of Hanukkah candles can be performed through someone else, so then certainly the Mahadran can as well. So the Ramah is not disagreeing with the Rambam that each person must light their own menorah for it to be considered Mahadran Mina Mahadran, and if one person lights it, it's not Mahadran Mina Mahadran, but rather the Ramah is saying that each person's menorah should be distinct. So again, let's say there's five people in the house and it's the third night. According to the Rambam, there's 15 candles and one person should light them all, meaning they should all be in the same group. There shouldn't be five different menorahs with three candles. There should be 15 candles all assembled together. That's the way to fulfill Mahadran Mina Mahadran because then all of the candles are connected to the first candle which was the obligation. Whereas according to the Ramah, and this is how many of us do it, the proper way to do that would be to have five different menorahs which are clearly delineated as being different and each menorah has three candles. So it's very clear that there are different people lighting these menorahs. The menorahs themselves are disconnected and each person is lighting their three candles. And again, even though the Mahadran aspect of it, so the extra menorahs and lights are not the actual obligation, they're the Hidr Mitzvah, even though that's disconnected from the original candle, which was the obligation, according to the Ramah, that's fine. Mahadran can be fulfilled, even disconnected from the original obligation. So that's the actual debate between the Rambam and the Ramah, not so much who lights it, even the Ramah agrees that one person could light it all, but according to the Ramah, it should be clearly differentiated menorahs, one per person. Now, if one person wants to physically go ahead and light all five menorahs, one after the next, that's fine, and that's still Mahadran Minah Mahadran, so long as it's clearly noticeable that there are five different menorahs. Whereas according to the Rambam, that would not be Hidr Mitzvah, because four of the menorahs are disconnected from the original obligation, so they did nothing. So all 15 candles need to be in one pile lit by one person in order to be considered Hidr Mitzvah. 
Now, the Beis HaLevi raises another issue about this whole Mahadrin when it comes to Hanukkah candles, which is that generally we find the concept of Hidur Mitzvah. So one can do the Mitzvah in a basic way or in a nicer way. But when it comes to Hanukkah, we find the concept which does not appear in any other Mitzvah of Mahadrin Minha Mahadrin. A double Hidr mitzvah. So what is the centrality of Hidr to Hanukkah that for some reason Hidr mitzvah is very important to the Hanukkah candles more so than other mitzvahs and there's even a double category of Mahadrin Minah Mahadrin which we don't find elsewhere. So Rav Velvel explains that the concept of Hidr mitzvah, doing a mitzvah nicer, we do find. Like the example of Mila, that there are tzitzin that should be cut for Hidr mitzvah even though they're not obligatory. Same is when it comes to lulav, that the basic obligation is to hold the lulav and the four species, but they don't need to be tied together. But there is an extra mitzvah to do so. As the Gemara in Sukkah and Gimel and the Rambam in Lulav Zayin Vav explain that the mitzvah in Amuvchar, the nicest way is to do eget, to tie it together. So this concept of hidr mitzvah we find in a number of mitzvahs. Now, Reb Velvel says, even though hidr is optional, so to speak, but it's really not. There is an element of obligation to do the mitzvah as nicely as possible. So there's two components to the mitzvah. One is the base obligation in order to fulfill the mitzvah. And then there's another obligation to try and make the mitzvah as nice as possible, which the Gemara in Shabbos Kuflamid Gimel and Sukkalamid Gimel derive from the Pasuk of Van Vehu to beautify God, which refers to Hisna'e Lefanev B'mitzvos, to do the mitzvahs in a beautiful way. So Hidr mitzvah is an obligation on some level to do the mitzvah in a nice way, even though if one does not do so, they still fulfill the mitzvah. Now, the Gemara in Babakama Daftes says that Hidr mitzvah only should cost more than a third of the overall cost of the mitzvah. So one does not do Hidr mitzvah more than a third of the base cost of the mitzvah. Now, says Rabbi obviously Hanukkah is an exception to that rule because the Hidr mitzvah of Hanukkah is always going to cost more than a third of the base mitzvah. The base mitzvah is to light eight candles, one per night. The Hidr is going to be many, many more candles, a lot more than a third of an eighth. So Hanukkah is an exception where we end up spending more than a third in order to do Hidr mitzvah. So now, says Rab Velvel, based on that, it cannot be that there's any element of obligation to do Mahadrin of the Hanukkah candles because that would be forcing people to spend more than a third of the base cost, which contradicts the whole idea of Hidr mitzvah. So there must be a basic difference between Mahadrin of the Hanukkah candles versus regular Hidr mitzvah. Even though regular Hidr mitzvah, as we just said, is on some level an obligation, one can fulfill the mitzvah even without it, but there is an obligation to try and do Hidr mitzvah. That does not apply to the Hanukkah candles because it's going to cost the person more than a third to do the Mahadrin, so there is no element of obligation at all. It's totally optional. A person can 
fully fulfill the mitzvah of Hanukkah candles with one candle per night. And then there's Mahadran and Mahadran Mina Mahadran, which is totally optional. There is no element of obligation. If a person wants to spend much more than a third of the mitzvah, then they're encouraged to do so. But there is no obligation, L'Chatchila even, to try and do so. And Rab Velvel says that this whole idea came to him because one of the Rabbanim in Israel asked him whether the limitation of a third applies to Hidr of Hanukkah candles. So he found the answer in the language of Rabbeinu Hananel, who explains that the word Mahadrin refers to Mahadre mitzvos, people who want to do the mitzvah of Hanukkah candles nicely. As we say that Hidr mitzvah is up until a third. So Reb Velvel asks, why is Rabbeinu Hananel referencing the halacha that Hidr mitzvah is a third in this context? The whole reference seems to be out of left field. It has nothing to do with the issue that the Gemara is discussing. So Reb Velvel answers that Rabbeinu Hananel is trying to make this point. The Gemara calls them mahadrin, people who want to do a nice mitzvah. So Rabbeinu Hananel is emphasizing there is no obligation to do Hidr mitzvah when it comes to Hanukkah candles because it's more than a third. And the obligatory type of Hidr mitzvah only applies up to a third of the cost of the mitzvah. Here it's more than that. So says Rabbeinu Hananel, that's what the Gemara is saying, that here there is no obligatory Hidr mitzvah, it's just mahadrin, people who choose to do so of their own volition, but there is no obligation to do so at all. And Rab Velvel adds that he found the same idea in Rabbeinu Hananel's commentary on the Gemara in Babakama, which says that Hidr mitzvah is only until a third. So Again, Rabbeinu Hananel explains what does this mean? You are obligated on some level to spend up to a third on a mitzvah. More than a third is nice and a person can choose to do so, but there is no obligation whatsoever to do so. Another way to understand this is if someone is doing Hidr Mitzvah and it's going to cost them more than a third, so they're not obligated to spend their own money on that, but if Hashem gives them the money, and they want to spend it on the Hidr Mitzvah, so they're allowed to spend even more than a third. Someone who chooses to do so and to make the mitzvah nice is praised. Like we find when it comes to Hanukkah candles, that there's Mahadrin and then there's Mahadrin Minha Mahadrin. So Rabdelvel says that again, Rabbi Nuchananel seems to be saying the same thing. Why is he bringing in the Mahadrin of Hanukkah candles to the discussion in Babakama that one does not spend more than a third on Hidr Mitzvah? This is the reverse of the original question. Why does Rabbeinu Hananel bring in that Gemara in Babakama in his discussion of the Hanukkah candles in Shabbos? So in both places, Rabbeinu Hananel connects these two halachas. So says Rab Velvel, because Rabbeinu Hananel is trying to teach us that there is another type of Hidr Mitzvah. The regular Hidr Mitzvah is that there is some obligation to try and enhance the Mitzvah. But that obligation only applies if it's going to cost up to a third more than the Mitzvah. But then there are cases where the Hidr Mitzvah is going to cost more than a third and Rabbeinu 
Hananel is telling us that even though there's no obligation of Hidr Mitzvah, but it's still proper to do Hidr Mitzvah even at a cost of more than a third. And that's the type of Hidr Mitzvah that applies when it comes to Hanukkah. So this is Rab Velvel's piece to explain the concept of Hidr Mitzvah in Hanukkah. And there's two key points. One is the debate between the Rambam versus the Tur and Rashi and the Ramah, whether one can do Hidr Mitzvah separate from the original obligation, or it has to be part of the obligation. And the second is the question that he raises at the end, what is the nature of Hidr Mitzvah on Hanukkah? So according to Rab Velvel, it's a different type of Hidr Mitzvah than usual. It's not obligatory in any way because it costs more than a third, which is the usual limit of the obligatory type of Hidr Mitzvah. So those are some very key conceptual ideas about Mahadrin and Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin when it comes to lighting Hanukkah candles. Now, Rab Velvel references two different pieces of his grandfather, the base. Halevi. One is a tshuva where he discusses whether mahadrin can be detached from the original mitzvah. And the second is his discussion of Hanukkah themes, which is published in his Sefer Al-HaTorah, where he discusses why the Ramah changes from the Rambam's model, as well as why mahadrin is so central to the mitzvah of Hanukkah. So it's worth just mentioning the Beis Halevi's own answer to these questions. The Beis Halevi explains that mahadrin is an important component of the mitzvah of Hanukkah, and many other commentators have the same idea, because the whole miracle of Hanukkah was also a mahadrin type of miracle. There was enough oil for one night. So they could have made very small wicks that were an eighth of the normal size and used that one jar of oil for all eight nights. The reason Hashem did a miracle that the oil burned for eight days was in order to do mahadrin so that the Jews could do the mitzvah in a nicer way, not in the bare minimum way. So to commemorate that, mahadrin is a very important part of our fulfillment of the Hanukkah candles. Others formulate the same idea that since they did not have pure oil, so they were allowed to use the tame oil, that's tuma hutra b'tzibor, when there's no tahor available for the whole community, so you can do it even in tuma. So they were allowed to light the tame oil, but Hashem chose to do the miracle in such a way that they could do the lighting in an ideal way with pure oil. So the whole miracle created a situation of mahadrin, so that's why we commemorate it with mahadrin and mahadrin mina mahadrin. So that's how the Beis HaLevi explains the centrality of mahadrin to the holiday of Hanukkah. Now, the Beis HaLevi also has an interesting approach as to why the Ramah changed from the Rambam's idea that one person lights all the candles in the same place. And according to the Ramah, you light each menorah separately. So the Beis HaLevi explains because there was a very central shift in the whole mitzvah of lighting Hanukkah candles. Originally, it was supposed to be done outside, and many people in Israel do so nowadays, but during the exile, people started lighting inside instead. So says the Beis HaLevi, when people lit outside, so then the halacha was that the candles were supposed to be within a tefach of the doorway. So there wasn't enough space for each person to light their own menorah in their own area. So that's why the Rambam says that one person should light it, meaning everyone should light in the same area within a tefach next to the door outside because there's not enough space for each person to light separately. But by the time of the Ramah, people 
people were lighting indoors so they had enough space to split up. So that's why the Ramah adds that nowadays indoors, each person should light their own menorah in their own space. So this is a totally different explanation than Reb Velvel's idea that the issue is whether Hidr Mitzvah needs to be connected to the original mitzvah or not. Even though the Beis HaLevi himself in his tshuvas did discuss that issue, but he didn't connect it to this halacha. Now, Reb Velvel only mentions that the Beis HaLevi discusses the issue of Hidr Mitzvah on its own. But there is a tradition that Rab Chaim also had something to say about this. So this story appears in the Sefer Zichron Yitzchak, page 141, from Rabbi Yehuda Leib Don Yechia, who is an interesting character. He studied under Rab Chaim in the early days in Valazhin, and then later he was involved in the Zionist movement, which Rab Chaim was vehemently against. But either way, he had some stories about Rab Chaim, and this story is also quoted by Rab Zevin in the Mo'adim Bahalacha, as well as by Rab Laser Silver at the end of his Sefer Anfei Erez. So this is a well-known story, and there's a good oral track record. The story is that one Sukkis, Rab Chaim had two esrogim. One was very nice, but it was possibly grafted, so then it would have been puzzle. The other one was definitely kosher, but it was not as nice. So the question was, which one should Rab Chaim shake first? So intuitively, we would think that he should first take the definitely kosher one, and then after he fulfills the mitzvah, take the nicer one, which was possibly puzzle. But Rab Chaim did it the other way. First, he took the nicer one, and then he took the definitely kosher one. And he explained, because if he takes the kosher one and fulfills the mitzvah, then doing hider mitzvah afterwards is useless, because he's already finished the mitzvah. Mitzvah. So just shaking a nice esrog is not going to accomplish anything. So that's why he first took the nicer esrog, even though it was possibly puzzle, because that way, if it was kosher, he fulfilled the mitzvah in the nicest way. And if it was not kosher, so he didn't do the mitzvah, but then he fulfilled the mitzvah with the second esrog. So Rab Chaim goes along the same lines as his father and his son, that there is no hider mitzvah disconnected from the original mitzvah. Once the obligation is fulfilled, so then you cannot do Hidr Mitzvah. Now, Reb Lazer Silver asks on this story, what about the hefsik between the bracha and the mitzvah? By taking the esrog that was possibly puzzle, it's possible that Rab Chaim had a hefsik between making the bracha and fulfilling the mitzvah. So he raises that issue. But either way, as regards this piece in Rab Velvel, we have a tradition now of the Beis HaLevi, Rab Chaim, and Rab Velvel all discussing the same topic. Now, there are some questions on Rab Velvel's analysis. So Rav Shach and Avi Ezri asks a very strong question, which is the Hidr of Hanukkah candles is different than regular Hidr mitzvah. In general, when we talk about Hidr mitzvah, let's say for a lulav or a bris, it's referring to doing the actual mitzvah in a nicer way. So using a nicer lulav or doing a better bris milah cut. So the Hidr mitzvah is in the original action or object of the mitzvah. Whereas the Hidr of Hanukkah candles is of a totally different sort. It's not a nicer candle, it's more candles. So that's a new concept of Hidr mitzvah. It's not saying that the candle itself should be nicer. It's saying that instead of lighting one candle, one should light many candles. So Rav Shach argues that what this means is that the Hidr mitzvah of Hanukkah 
is of a different category than regular Hidr Mitzvah. Even if Reb Velvel is correct that when it comes to ordinary Hidr Mitzvah, the Hidr needs to be connected with the original Mitzvah itself, that is certainly not true when it comes to Hanukkah candles because anyways, the additional Hanukkah candles are not part of the original candle. If we wanted to do Hidr Mitzvah in the original candle, then we should buy a longer candle or a nicer candle. But to add additional candles is a disconnected form of Hidr Mitzvah to begin with. So Rav Shach questions Reb Velvel's analysis, which compares the Hidr of Hanukkah to the regular Hidr Mitzvah in other areas of Halacha. Reb Velvel's acting like both concepts of Hidr Mitzvah are the same. Now, even though at the end, Reb Velvel does differentiate that the Hidr of Hanukkah is optional because it's more than a third, but that just reinforces the overall idea that Reb Velvel really sees these two concepts of Hidr Mitzvah as fundamentally the same. There's some details that are different, but the Hidr of Hanukkah is the same as the Hidr of other mitzvahs, and that's why he compares them. Whereas Rav Shach argues that the Hidr of Hanukkah is a totally different category than regular Hidr because it's not in the original mitzvah, it's additional candles over and above the original candle. So according to Rav Shach, it doesn't make sense to apply the concept that the Hidr of Hanukkah has to be connected to the original candle when anyways all the candles are disconnected. So that's a very powerful perspective and question from Rav Shach. Now there's another very obvious, more technical question on Rab Velvel's analysis, and this Rab Chaim Aaron Turchin in the Kuntras Hanukkah Megillah Simon Yud Beis asks, according to Rab Velvel, if one person lights a menorah, they fulfill the obligation, and everyone else who lights is just doing hidur, disconnected from the original mitzvah. But the obvious question is, if everybody's planning on lighting their own menorah, so then they're not intending to do the mitzvah with the original person. So the first person who lights ends up only lighting for themselves and each person is doing the mitzvah for themselves because they intended not to fulfill their mitzvah with that person. So this is a very good question and in the Kuntras Hanukkah Megillah he reformulates Rab Velvel's approach to take this into account.